I'm Peter. Today we're talking to Steph in Ireland about homelessness and why it's such a problem in Dublin. We talk about what's being done about it and what home means. Welcome, welcome back. This is episode one of Cairo Calling. Hi everyone. Steph and I, we've known each other for about 20 years now. We met for the first time, I think, in New York in 2000, New York City, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were young and idealists. I I think at that time, I think you were the the first Irish woman that I met. You've met far better Irish women since then. (laughs) Yeah, and then then we saw each other again in 2018, right, when I was visiting Ireland for a wedding. Yeah, and you introduced me to your wonderful, you know, kids and, and family and to, to your lovely home. And I really love it, my time there. Well, we loved having you, Dodie. I love having people to my home, especially old friends. Uh, I, I, I always remember, I always tell people about my experience uh, going to, I don't remember the place anymore. It's where your parents live, the, the farm. In Wicklow, on the farm, the Grange, oh, Newcastle. Yeah, yeah that... The fact that the farm is only about uh, 10 minutes away from the beach. Yeah. That just blew me away. I mean, like, it's such a it's beautiful... It's stunning. World. So, okay, let's, let's get to the point, right? Um, so tell, tell us, uh, you know, what's going on in, in Dublin right now regarding, you know, this homelessness issue. I guess I'd actually like to start with, with something personal because Dodie alluded to it actually a couple of times already in the last few sentences. But um, before I get into Dublin and what's happening, um, you know, for me, home is more than four walls and a roof. It's about a feeling and it's about a feeling of security and safety. And actually, I became critically ill after I met Dodie for the first time, not because I met Dodie, (laughs) but there was a time in my life, honestly, when my mother used to say to me, just imagine one day you'll have your own home. And that seemed unattainable to me um, at the time. And the reason for that in my life was actually for mental health reasons. But now, sadly, and this brings me to Dublin. Sadly, I'm, I'm also feel honoured and privileged and happy that I am grateful that I work for a homeless charity now, um, one of the leading charities in the country. Um, But sadly, in Dublin now, there are many, many people becoming homeless who don't have mental health issues, don't have drug or drink addictions, are becoming homeless because of the cost of living crisis, for example. Um, The cost of living crisis and the, the chronic lack of supply of housing are both major factors. Um, I'll just tell you a little bit about like the country as a whole and stop me by the way if I'm rambling or going off point but the country as a whole has record-breaking figures of homelessness and Dublin Simon works in seven counties around Dublin and we always say Dublin owns approximately 71% of the national problem because, as you know, people migrate to cities. So with Dublin, Simon, 
there's there's actually well over 11,000 people homeless in this country, of which approximately eight and a half are in Dublin. Okay, now that does not include the hidden homeless people who are couch surfing, people in domestic refuges, in um, direct provision. We have refugees and immigrants arriving into this country who are actually um, not counted in those figures. So the problem is actually much higher. But you ask what, it's a very challenging and complex issue. But I suppose, and as I said, stop me if I'm not answering your question correctly, but the, the number of single homeless people in Dublin is, is actually the biggest portion. So we need to build more houses, one bedroom apartments, for example. Um, as I said, the, the challenges are that we don't have nearly enough apartments and houses for our growing population. People are having to stay in emergency accommodation for much longer. I've already mentioned, and I'm sure this is a global issue, but the cost of rent and the cost of living in Ireland are far too high and in Dublin. And then, of course, we have the fact that, as you can imagine, homelessness is a very traumatic experience. And when people stay a long time in homelessness, it affects their physical, mental and their social well-being. And also, people think oh, you know, you're you're addicted and you become homeless. When actually the opposite can happen. You can become addicted because you're in dire social circumstances in a homeless situation. So, I mean, okay. So you mentioned about hidden homelessness. Can, can you elaborate further on that? I mean, like, what, is, what do you mean by hidden homelessness? So, it, you know, the, there's hidden homeless. Sadly, you know, you think... Like Dodie and I, when we met in New York in the year 2000, young, free and single, and you're not living with your parents because you've moved out and you've moved on. Like in Dublin today, more and more people in their 20s and even 30s are living with their parents because they can't afford crazy rent. And even renting, there's a massive shortage of rent properties to rent. So that's their part of the hidden homeless, the people who are still living with their parents. Um, couch surfing, people who are going from couch to couch, from friend to friend. And um, then we have, as I mentioned, we ha- I don't know if you call it this in other countries, but we have direct provision. It's um, We have provision centres when refugees come to this country and um, they live in almost like detention centres. I know I shouldn't call them that, but it's it's a form of prison, really. They've escaped conflict and trauma in their own country to live in supported accommodation. These people aren't counted. Then you've all the Ukrainian refugees that have come to this country this year and are living in Dublin. And then you have people in, um, women and children in refuges, domestic, escaping domestic violence. So none of these people are counted in those official figures. So as I said, record-breaking, never seen the likes of this crisis in this country ever before. So so who gets counted in the home, the official homeless you know, figures? I mean, like, do you have to be on the street? What, what are the criteria? Well, obviously, there's um, in Dublin, um, 
the official, uh, obviously there are homeless, there are people living on the streets, okay? My Dublin Simon, which by the way, has been in existence for over 50 years. I had the privilege of meeting some of the founders when I first started. 50 odd years ago, they offered a soup and a sandwich. That has evolved. They never imagined in their wildest nightmares that this problem would be still exist today, okay? But in those, um, the reason I brought that up is because Dublin Simon is synonymous with the soup and sandwich. So I, I want to talk about the soup and sandwich a bit more because there's, but, but I'll get into that. But in terms to answer your question, Doty, um, the official, we're the official partner of the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive. So we have a tender to look after the emerge, emergency outreach there are 91 people currently sleeping in the cold, wet winter conditions who won't come in off the streets, okay? We, as Dublin Simon Outreach, have a relationship with these people, but some of them have major mental health issues. They have paranoia. They have a mistrust of the system. They might have been abused. They might have got into addiction. Um, that figure also includes people who are in emergency accommodation, so Dublin Simon, along with other homeless charities and other organisations, government organisations, offer what we call emergency accommodation. And so the, anyone in emergency accommodation will be classified among those homeless figures. Okay. Um, so, for example, right, if I have, I live in my own apartment, right? And I got kicked out in the middle of the month. And now I don't have accommodation anymore. And I have to seek for emergency shelter, right? Will I be counted as a homeless person for the month? Or, you know, or will I slip through the official, official number? You would, you, if, you, if you are placed in emergency accommodation, you will be classified as um, a homeless person. You need to register with one of the authorities to become homeless. That's how we count the numbers. Um, but actually, that hits on something. One of Dublin Simon's recommendations is around prevention in the first place. Of the funding that we, of the money that's spent on trying to resolve this issue, only something like 5% is spent on prevention. So if you're a doji living in an apartment in Dublin and your landlord illegally gives you less than a month's notice to move out yeah. you would contact dublin simon for example and tell you would you might not know you might be new to the country you might not have the language so what dublin simon will do we we offer what we call um a prevention service so the trick is to stop people becoming homeless in the first yeah. place so what we would do a lot of the time People don't know their rights. And in, in Ireland now, there's in Dublin, there's very strict legislation around tenants' rights. So, for example, Chris, my husband and I, are what you might call accidental landlords. Chris bought an apartment before he met me. And at the time, it was a negative equity, so we didn't sell it. So now we, we have a tenant. Um, but... A lot of individual landlords are leaving the market um, because the, 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 the government isn't supporting 
private landlords either. Some some private landlords are part of the problem, but some are part of the solution, if that makes sense. And some are playing the game right and some aren't. And the ones that aren't playing the game right are giving the others a bad name. I wanted to understand, Steffi, a bit of the context in Ireland and then whether you can sort of help compare it with other other countries. I was looking up some of the statistics in England and it was saying oh, there's 5,000 people in emergency housing in England. And so it looks like oh, the Irish numbers are, are sort of in the same ballpark, but like we have 10 times the population. So it's kind of this really, like it's, it sounds like a really grave crisis. There was another statistic we saw that about 300,000 people are hidden homeless in, in a population of 5 million. So that's really, really shocking the, the numbers of people without that stable uh, accommodation. And it's been, it's lasted for, it's been growing as it's been uh, a compounding crisis for many years. Can, can you say a little bit just to help us sort of see how Ireland is similar or different to other, other places in this? Well, I, the, the best model in the world, actually, if you're looking at like the story of hope um, in terms of how we can actually address this problem in, in Ireland, um, we'd need to look, there, there are solutions to the problem, okay? Um, but um, there needs to be a focus on increasing the number of affordable and social houses that are being built um, we need to invest much more into prevention, as I alluded to, and we need to provide better health care for people who are homeless to look after their welfare so they're able to sustain their properties when they get them. But in terms of, like, I don't honestly know a lot about the state of homelessness in other countries, but I have, and I would also say this is, the words I speak are, um, attributable to some of my amazing colleagues who helped me um, put together this, but Finland would, it has it has the most success, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Finland has the most success in eliminating homelessness. And they have one of the lowest levels of homelessness in the whole world. I'll just give you some insights. They've been working on their models since the 1980s. Their government and their housing developers have been very committed to making sure it works. There are three strands to their model that complement each other to ensure that few people become homeless. And if they do, it's for a very short time. Before I tell you what those three strands are, I'll just say another part of the challenge in our, in Dublin at the moment is that um, when people go into this emergency accommodation, they're meant to only be in it short term, uh, but there's no supply. So at the moment, we might say we have, I don't know the exact statistic, but it's definitely at least for every two families or people entering homelessness on a daily basis in our in Dublin, only one is leaving the system. So there's an awful, there's a backlog and people are staying longer in emergency accommodation. And that, as I alluded to, has all sorts of health complications for people. But I'll just go through the three really briefly, right? So for Finland, they have very effective preventative 
and early intervention services for people who are at risk of homelessness. They continuously invest in these services to make sure they work. They have a national housing developer and use an approach called Housing First, which is a model that operates on the basis that the simple solution to homelessness is a home and any other support that is needed can be provided once that person is safe and settled in their home. And the third one, for anyone that does become homeless, they have what they call a rapid rehousing, which is focused on minimising the time spent in homelessness and getting them housed as quickly as possible. There's a bit of an education on Finland for you. I mean, those those three strands. I mean, sounds like really common sense idea, you know. I mean, it's like the the I mean, like the solutions to 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 prevent homelessness is you know just provide housing, you know, provide stock supplies of housing. I mean, like, why do you think that hasn't been done yet? I mean, why is it? You know, what are the factors that makes you know all this complication in providing housing enough housing for the population of of Ireland, for example, or Dublin? To be honest, it comes down to a lack of, I'm not an expert on it, I I do work in the homeless sector, but um, a lack of planning and a lack of of supply. So like, you know, developers aren't building social housing and developers are prioritizing, like a lot of building in Ireland, in, in Dublin, is buy to let, so or is build to let. So, you know, we had a property crash here that was documented worldwide. Um, A lot of vulture funds bought up apartment complexes and building came to a standstill. So there's just a chronic lack of supply is a big part of the issue. Do you feel like public attitudes are in the right place when you speak with people about homelessness or kind of see the way it's talked about? Or is it really based like them because there's also stigma against homeless people and the kind of um I'm sure that the Tory mindset in England would be very much down the it's their fault. <laughs> uh or they're not helping themselves or or blah 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 about the sort of addictions and drug issues that can be interrelated. Um I think um I think there's a lot more sympathy in Ireland and in Dublin towards homeless people because I think, honestly, when I go out, like I'm in charge of corporate fundraising for Dublin, Simon. Um, so I go out to companies and I talk to these people, employees and big tech firms who pass homeless people on their way to work and to pass them on the way out to get their coffee from their home office. And the problem is very visible on the streets of Dublin. My twin brother lives on the farm that Dodie visited. He came to Dublin a few weeks ago. He's he's not a city slicker. He's a country boy. But he came to Dublin and he was horrified because he hadn't been in ages about the number of homeless people. But I think, honestly, Peter, the, the, the face of homelessness is changing. And when I go out to companies and make presentations, I say to people, homelessness can actually happen to anyone. So I think there's a lot of sympathy. There's a lot of people who have, as I alluded to, adult children living at home who can't afford their own property. The irony is I have a team of people working with me in Dublin, Simon, all young, bright, well-educated, talented people who work 
with me in fundraising who don't think they ever have a hope of getting their own home in Dublin. My own children. I have a seven-year-old who you heard earlier. I have a 10-year-old. I wonder, will they ever own their own home in this country? It's, it's become a really big problem. And I think we're all only a paycheck away from it, unfortunately. So I wanted to talk about that because um, uh, before before we spoke with you, Dodie said, ah, he would be comfortable with this conversation because it's kind of about policy and about these issues we can d- discuss in an objective way. So I want to take it onto the feeling stuff <laughs> that, Dodie, that Dodie doesn't like. Um, you mentioned you mentioned at the beginning um, that sort of the, the from that time that you knew Dodie, your own mental health situation and that how... Uh, how owning a home had been a dream uh, for you, and now you're wondering about whether your your children, thanks to the seven year old for his appearance earlier, um, can you say a little bit more about your feelings, your feelings on this subject, and like how you how you're relating to it? Um, I am so, and again, if I'm going off t- topic or if I'm not getting the answers you want shout steer me back but you know I have my own home you're you're seeing a bit of it Dodie has slept in my home and I am so happy to have my home and it was it it did seem like an unattainable dream to me and so I empathize so much with people who don't have that and that's what drives me and motivates me on a daily basis in my job. So um, can you repeat the question just to make sure I'm covering it all? I was, I was wondering, uh, wondering about those aspects and how you see that for your for your children and those young colleagues, colleagues that you mentioned. It sounds like home is giving you stability in a really deep sense. And you 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 worry that the your younger colleagues wouldn't wouldn't have that and you don't know if your children will be able to uh, get that in Ireland. So Dodie alluded to this um, reference this in his um, advertorial for this episode one but housing is a basic human right like it's basic and we all want a comfortable place to lay our head at night and a refuge and if we're not taking our homeless people are among the most vulnerable in our society. And if we can't take care of our most vulnerable citizens, well, then we are failing as a society. And right now, Ireland and Dublin is failing its citizens. And that's sad. And that makes me not proud to be an Irish person. And I take my example and inspiration from a country like Finland, who's really proactively doing something about it. And they started this strategy in the 1980s. So I think it's up to every single Irish and Dublin person to shout loud. And I, I do think that you you asked me earlier, like the, 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 the will is there. It is topical. Um, people on the streets want this addressed because it's become, honestly, it's gone from being I don't mean this in a, but like, as as you mentioned, there can be a stigma. Oh, there's the drunk that's created his own problem. 
a lot of the time people aren't drunk or drinking when they become homeless. They start drinking to cope with the challenges of being homeless. And that's like, that's, that's where you get into a whole other level of, of problems. Yeah, thank you. You're such you're so you're so passionate on this on this issue. It's it's really great to hear that. I was I was really interested you take you you are working with the uh tech companies and whatnot. Um one of the sort of very famous examples is obviously San Francisco, where tech companies are pricing out housing for everyone else, tech companies and tech workers, and there's lots of very visible homelessness in San Francisco and one of sort of the richest richest areas of the world does that does that sort of tension come up when you're speaking with them that you're speaking with like maybe people that have come into Ireland are earning quite well and are sort of raising raising prices um for everyone else yeah, I, I think it has an element to pay, but first of all, I actually lived in San Francisco for two years. Dodie came to visit my home <laughs> there. So I saw a lot of people with a lot of mental health issues on the streets of San Francisco. I could barely afford the rent in San Francisco, and that was nearly 20 years ago. Um, but I I actually have to say that I the, the without naming names, the global tech firms that I work with, do care about the issue and have been in my in my experience trying to help resolve it because like yes they've contributed to the problem and yes they're paying their staff really big salaries and they can afford the really big rents uh, but a lot of the most proactive working in these companies because yeah so a lot of the proactive uh, people that I work with as advocates come from those companies because yes, they might be taking a big salary, but they're actually trying to do something about the problem. You know, if if that makes sense. So I wouldn't necessarily diss the global firms. Yes, there's problems associated with it, but their staff are actually trying to resolve, help resolve the problem as well. So things like, you know, uh, housing stocks in, in the city, is this, is this the purview of the national government or is it more like a city council, you know, of Dublin? I mean, like, where, where are the authorities that deal with this? So there's, um, there's different housing. There's what we call our county councils around the country. Um, there's different housing authorities that are responsible for it. Um, if I uh, just go in, so um, local county councils would be responsible for social housing. Um, as I said, they're not building enough of it. Um, but um, we also we also say that each the government needs to fund. Um, prevention services in, in each of the counties in Ireland. So while the government is responsible for administ- administering funds, the, lo- the local councils are responsible for rolling this out. But a lot of the time, they just don't have the funds to do that. Okay, so so you see that this limitation of you know building public housing, is that primarily about um, priorities of allocating budgets? Or is there... 
And so, say, say more stuffy, like, because you, you, you've mentioned prevention services quite a few, quite a few times, but I'm sort of not maybe filling in the details in my mind, not understanding what, what different uh, components of that there would be to stop people becoming homeless. Yeah, so as I said, you know, there's a lot of like Dublin. So you might think Dublin Simon is 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 a our job is to provide housing, right? But as I said, the the trick is to try and prevent homelessness in the first place. So legal supports are offered, um, education, people knowing people's rights, um, wraparound services once you get the keys to your own home which prevents people falling back into homelessness. So um, Dublin Simon has a range of services. Obviously, we offer emergency accommodation. We offer outreach support, working with the mentally unwell and other people out on the streets. But then we do detox services. We offer counselling. The demand for our counselling service went up. It it went up threefold during COVID um, because our the cohort of our homeless population who had were attending AA meetings, the, their meetings couldn't happen in person. So a lot of the a lot of the in-person supports people had fell away. So people maybe fell back on their old drinking habits, for example. So we have a detox service, but sometimes you have um, you know education literacy um, creativity writing classes we do all of that it's not just about giving someone a building to call home it's about putting structure back into that person's life right so and that helps prevent them becoming homeless again then we actually have what we call our tenancy sustainment service for some of these people they might have been born into homelessness and now they're adults they've never paid a bill in their life they don't know how to manage money through no fault of their own. And I always think if it wasn't for the stable environment I grew up in and the stable home I grew up in, I wouldn't have had a chance of recovering from my own challenges in life. And that compels and drives me to help people who didn't have that solid foundation, who quite frankly don't have a hope without other people caring for them. And I'll give you um, an example of that. When I first joined Dublin, Simon, I have a few personal anecdotal stories to share. But I heard about a man, right? He became homeless when he was 11. And he never learned to read and write. And he was in his 70s. And Dublin, Simon was giving him literacy lessons. And he was learning to read and write his own name. So I always say when you become homeless, your dreams go on hold. So our job is to try and reignite people's dreams. I met another man who's come out with me to Google as an example. So Shane is his name. He works as a tour guide, giving people secret street tours of Dublin on like the homeless side of Dublin, right? Shane was in primary school, age 10, when a, a teacher called him stupid. Right now, I'm not saying that teacher caused Shane to drink, but that teacher did not help Shane's self-esteem. Shane 
entered into a 20-year battle with alcohol. And when he was 37, in a Dublin Simon counselling service, he was diagnosed as dyslexic. And he learned that he wasn't, he wasn't stupid. I always say, right, that's just two people I've given you an example of. There's over 11,000 people in Ireland homeless. Every single one of them has a personal story. But tell, tell us a bit more about Shane. So now he does tours of, so he's kind of turned out like what he learned to know in those years of sort of homelessness and this this fight with alcohol. He, he's kind of turned that knowledge into something that he can share with other people. Yeah, so he got involved in an, a, a social enterprise. Um, so it's called Secret Street Tours. And this, uh, he he basically gets paid through revenue that's made from the tours um, to give people a tour of Dublin through the eyes of a former homeless person. So he's, he gives a bit of the history of Dublin, but he's able to point out, you know, different parts of Dublin that are pertinent to him and his memory of being homeless. So it's amazing. He's turned his life around. How's, you know... Well, I mean, like, how how complicated does is this get? Does this get if when the children are involved? You know, like there's a family being you know kicked out of their home, and there's little children or your young children being involved. So it just has obviously got huge psychological effects on children. We have a lot of like you know, homeless and your your children are in a school in a certain part of Dublin, and suddenly you're being told the only viable housing that you will be offered is 20 miles away or further. And you might have to face an hour and a half commute each way to get your children to school every day and pay for the bus fare. That's not healthy for any child. So we have a lot of stories about children living in hotel rooms, not being allowed to play, not having any public play area yeah so no play area but also can you imagine as a child not being able to have your friends to visit you and there's such mm. an element of embarrassment for a child you know children don't want to go into school and broadcast the fact that they don't have a home like in a way I think homelessness hits hardest on children the the other issue that I wanted to sort of talk about the interactions well we did we didn't speak so much about gender gender yet and um uh sort of gender-based violence i also wanted to ask about ask about disability issues which i which which i work on and um people with different types of disabilities and mental health conditions or other chronic illnesses must be a big part of the uh homeless population but maybe that's kind of quite a few issues together so I was wondering how homelessness sort of in, interacts differently for 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 women, for people with disabilities, for other groups. Um, yeah, I think it like obviously for people with disabilities, as I touched on, you know, sometimes if people have mental health issues, for example, they can go into homelessness through no fault of their own, and they can't sustain a property, and that's it comes back to. Um, 
we we submitted a paper to government um before the budget our latest submission and if I just went through it it, it talks about adequate funding for physical health for mental health addiction supports including funding to roll out trauma-informed care across homeless services and increased provision of low threshold detox and recovery beds mental health supports including counseling suicide prevention dual diagnosis workers and increased provision of in-reach primary care nursing to homeless services. So like what we do, what we find, um, Peter, a lot of people present as homeless to Dublin Simon who have disabilities. Um, some of them are physical, some of them are mental, um, but actually our services have nursing support and medical support. And actually, Dublin is Dublin. Dublin Simon is, with the help of the government, building a hundred-bed hospital, which Doty's going to have to make an excuse to come over from Peter. You too, <laughs> but it's due to be built in 2024, um, and it's actually one of its first of its kind in Ireland and the UK. Um, I'm not sure where else, but it's actually going to be a detox hospital for the homeless. Oh, wow. So, Steffi, because you said it started all with a soup and a sandwich, but a soup as a sandwich has gone to, like, odd, like we need to provide things in all areas of life, from from legal support to to counselling, to helping someone get an accommodation, to helping someone, to helping someone detox. It It sort of shows how many, how how much uh, homelessness affects life and how it's tied in with with every other area. So I wanted to go back to the soup and sandwich because I have another story for you. Um, so our outreach team, our, our, our outreach team are on the streets from 7 a.m. until 11, no, 1 a.m. every day, 365 days a year. And their job is to identify and get to know people who are homeless and build up trust with them. Because a lot of the time, these people have had a lot of trauma in their lives for various reasons and have no faith or trust in any humans. So one woman presented on the street and she wouldn't come near them, okay? She wouldn't give them her name. She she left when she saw them coming. She didn't trust a parity of any description. And eventually they found out she liked ham sandwiches with no butter. Okay? So I know that sounds so basic, but it's yeah. a, a fundamental thing. If I didn't like butter and someone was throwing a ham sandwich of butter in my face every day, I'd be like, no, thank you. But they built up her trust. They found out she had... She had become widowed and she couldn't handle it and she lost her home. And the good thing is, with Dublin Simon's help, she got into long-term accommodation and she rebuilt her life. So that's what I mean by it's so much more than the soup and the sandwich. And that's somehow her home begins, isn't it? Like someone realising, oh, you don't like butter in your sandwich or you don't take milk with your tea and then it sort of it grows it grows from that that's really that's really beautiful 
You mentioned um, the people, the people in tech companies, sort of, sort of having this direct interaction with with homelessness and your your brother when he came to Dublin. Seeing that, I was wondering because we're talking about things quite professionally. How does it? How does this work personally change the way that if you if you see someone that looks like they might be rough sleeping or might be on the streets, how does it change the way? that you interact with them or you have that experience. I'm sure that um, our our two listeners will also be curious. We'll also um, be curious about um, what I, about good, that and how people, how you, how you interact with someone personally. It's a good question. And what I've learned actually, and I've learned this from former homeless people who have been become friends and they they speak Justin is one of our clients and he would always he's always asked this question when I bring him out with me to visit companies and his answer always is treat them like humans even if you don't have money or you don't have time to just just say hello because um one of I mentioned our creativity and writing classes we do <coughs> we do an exhibition every year of our of the output of our of our clients' work. I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy of it. It's a book we produce every year, and one of the clients has a beautiful poem that I'll make sure you get a copy of. He talks about like when you become homeless, you actually become invisible. You don't. You're not human. So what I would always say, my advice to all two of your listeners is to say, when you walk by someone, just respect their dignity. And would you, um, like, we we get over-obsessed with this question, I think, but do you give money? Do you recommend that people give money? Do you recommend people don't give money? Do you recommend people find the ham sandwich? Um, Personally, I've, okay, the answer to that is there's no, there's no one answer, right? Because it does depend on the client or the, I always call them clients, but the people you meet on the street, you know, sometimes giving someone money might be the worst thing you can do because you're feeding their drink habit or their drug habit. Um, Personally, what I always do is to be on the safe side, I always say, look, I can't give you money, but I'm, I'm going into the shop. Can I buy you a bar of chocolate? Can I buy you a bag of crisps? Can I buy you a sandwich? And actually, most of the time they get specific and they went, well, yes, I will have a bar of chocolate. I'll actually have a Mars bar or I'll have a Kit Kat. Okay. so uh, personally, I feel to cover all bases, I won't give money. I'll buy them something if I have time to go into the shop. And because what I've listened to clients tell this, the the ask this question and the the honest answer is it just depends. So you just have to, in a way, it's a guessing game. But also, I would say, if you are concerned about somebody, in I'm sure in every city in the world, there's a housing authority or there's a Dublin Simon that's registered as the official housing homeless partner. So just pick up the phone and report it. Like our outreach team in Dublin is constantly following following up on reports. Um, of people on the streets so it takes vigilant citizens to look out for these people 
I, I looked this up in the city that I, I live in because I'd met in 2021, I met a few more homeless people more regularly and there were these homeless services and they were like, yeah, like you can call between 9am and 5pm. And I'm like, well, that's not, <laughs> that's not, 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 not when I'm meeting these people, right? Um, and sometimes part of the spiel you hear about asking for money is like, ah, oh, this, this service costs sort of 10 pounds to get into. Can I have the 10 pounds? That's, that's interesting to know about the, the money question. It sounds like you're saying both sides of the argument have justice, like that the concern that that money might be misused and might take people further into difficulty is real, but also the the other side that people do need things and do need that and empowerment and respect is also very real. Um, I know in Dublin, sorry, Josie, one second. I know in Dublin, um, if someone wants to get into a bed at night, Dublin Simon has the authority to help them get into a bed. So having a tenor for a bed for a night isn't the issue. Um, I can't, I'm only speculating by saying that money is, is probably used for other reasons. Um, but um, the success, the, the silver lining of COVID actually for Dublin Simon was that the number of people sleeping rough on the streets went down. Now, Dodie, sorry, you asked me a question. Oh, no. I, I, I was just mentioning that, you know, uh, I think in, in, the, in terms of like giving money and, and asking people what they want, I think when you're buying things uh, for someone, you actually talk to them. All right? There's a conversation going on. You know, what do you need? You know, what can I get you? You know, when people just give money, it's just usually, you know, you pull all the money out and then, right? You give them yeah. the money and then you and you leave, right? There is no conversation, there is no interactions, there is no dialogue that's happening. So I think that's just another aspect of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it'd be good to good to wrap up. Maybe um, uh, to wrap up, Sophie. Thank you for making this uh, in, invisible problem more more visible. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any? reflections on the conversation or things that you didn't say or just anything else in your mind me anything on my mind um you know I'm very passionate about this subject so it's wonderful to have it highlighted in Ireland it is the cause of our time and in Dublin um and if we can follow Finland's model and solve this problem we will be preserving the dignity and giving people back not just their physical rebuild rebuilding lives oh my last reflection honestly is that i hope you invite me back for episode 122 in four years time and i'm able to tell you that i am no longer senior manager for corporate partnerships in dublin simon in fact, there is no Dublin, Simon, because we have achieved our vision of ending homelessness in Dublin. And I'm out of a job. Let's see. Now, thank you. Thank you for that faith. Um, thank you for that faith in, in us and that hope, that hope for a better world with, with more more podcasts and more people, more people in safe housing that lets them live out, yeah. live out their dreams and fulfill their lives. And I'd just like to say... I know not everyone celebrates Christmas, but so I, I really hope this works out for you.
Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We're so grateful to both of our listeners. Do let us know how we're doing and what we can do better. Find us on kairecordingthesubsect.com. Leave a message, send us a voicemail. We hope you can be part of this. Thanks to Steph for her bravery in being our first guest. It's co-hosted by Dozy, together with me, Peter. Production and sound design is by Tarek. Creative advice from Raf. We spoke on the 21st of December, 2022. I connect from Colchester, Deji from Cairo and Steph from Dublin. See you next time.